Good day and welcome to episode 161 of Effect. The Cold War gets hot. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And, um, well, we've got a an apocalypse for you today. <sighs> not, not a packed programme. See, I can say something different. And, uh, <laughs> well done. We're looking at the world after the apocalypse. We're looking again at Twilight 2000. And um, having uh, had enough from our resident uh, Twilight 2000 expert, we've gone out into the internet to find another Twilight 2000 expert to give us a different point of view. And uh, we'll be, and that's James Langham, and we'll be having an interview with him later in the programme. But before then, we've got a new patron to say thank you to. And we have got lots of news from the world of gaming. And that's pretty much it, isn't it, Dave? Exactly, yes. So this episode is going to be 20 minutes. Excellent. Well, no, it's going to be at least 28 minutes because that's how long the interview is. <laughs> I would just say I'd like to apologise in advance. I have carpet fitters downstairs. So if there's banging behind me, then that's what it is. I also uh, I don't suffer from hay fever except for yesterday and today where I'm having an absolutely horrible time. So I'll do my best. Not to sneeze, sniffle and cough, but uh, if I do, it'll, no. be to, it'll be up to Matthew to take it out in the edit. So if you can hear it, it's Matt's fault, not mine. Yes, and I, I just want to say, um, I want to be an armchair doctor here. You say you don't suffer from hay fever, not, not normal, but you no. have been clearing your downstairs of furniture. Yeah, but that wasn't, so, yet, that wasn't yesterday. So yesterday and I this had, morning, oh. I had a, a nasty bout of sneezing right. and horribleness yeah ah very well i can't blame it on the dust no let's sadly. try not to talk any more about your bodily functions dave <laughs> we should have a new a new podcast dave and his bodily functions yeah no i i still think englishman <laughs> drinking tea and eating biscuits is uh, we could, better <laughs> we could choose one bodily function a week and go oh, no. detail <laughs> Tell you what, should, how about you find a, a new co-host for that? <laughs> that, um, could be, that could be our breakthrough, mate. That could be the winner. That you could know. be, because I don't think there's anybody else doing that in the world of podcasting. <laughs> no, there might be a reason for that. Yeah. Um, now, let's move on Quickly. to uh, a new patron. We've got a new patron, Dave. <clears throat> It's been weeks since we've had a new patron to say thank you to. And this one I feel a little bit guilty about because I kind of twisted his arm behind his back and, 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 and persuaded him to become a patron. And that's Scott, Scott Speaker. Welcome, Scott. Welcome, Scott. Uh, you contacted yeah. us via email because you're a fan and uh, you're really keen on joining in on some alien games. You might have joined in on the one that we streamed last night, except it was a little bit too short notice. Um, and, you know, I said, well, kind of joining in in games, that's a patron exclusive benefit. Um, and then he very generously has become a patron. So thank you, Scott. And we will get you involved in our Absolutely, games just as yeah. soon as we can uh, um, kind of, you know, deal with the availability and stuff like that. Perfect. Um, Thanks, Scott. Welcome aboard. So that's, that's patrons out of the way. World of Gaming. What's going on at Cubicle 7? What is going on at Cubicle Now, I don't know whether there's anything going on at Cubicle 7, <laughs> but I just want to... So the latest news from Cubicle 7 is something that doesn't particularly affect us as individuals. 
but it kind of does have some resonance with stuff that's gone on in the past. And that's Lone Wolf. Now, do you remember Lone Wolf when you were younger, Dave? I do. I do. Vaguely, anyway. Did you play any of the game books? I think I did, yeah. I'm, I'm to... pretty sure. I definitely played the first one, and I might have yeah. played two or three others. Uh, and Lone Wolf, for those of you who know, have no idea what we're talking about, and that you're probably not British in that case, mm-hmm. were a series of books created by Joe Diva, and they were particular. I think they were commissioned by Corgi Publishing back in the day, who were rivals to Penguin, and Penguin, through their Puffin brand, had the fighting fantasy books yeah. that took the world by storm. And this was, you know, basically Corgi trying to jump in on the bandwagon. But they had a certain charm to them the lone wolf books did i'm now i'm now worried because corgi also published or corgi published dragon warriors maybe it was a third publisher that did anyway they were paperback size books and they were you know numbered paragraphs choose your own adventure books but they were actually kind of getting closer to an actual role-playing game Mm. you had a character sheet your you know every everybody's lone wolf could be a little bit different um and they've got definitely a place in the hearts of many british people of our generation and a few years ago, a role-playing game was created, and um, I think it was created by an independent company, but it was then tied up with uh, Cubicle 7, who actually published it. And in April, Cubicle 7 was saying, yeah, you know, here's to phase two of, of uh, Lone Wolf. We're going to publish a bunch more books. And then just last week, I said, ah, due to uh, unforeseen difficulties or something, mm. I should maybe get it out. Um, we're no longer going to be publishing it. Um, everything on drive through is a sale, which if it happens once, it's 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 fine. You know, it's, people yeah, change their minds. Bad luck kind of thing, yeah. But, but this is the second time that Cubicle 7 have done this because mm. not many months ago, they were talking about doing the second edition of The One Ring. And now the second edition of the One Ring is being published by Free League, and it's the same thing. They they announce second edition, and then suddenly, due to unforeseen circumstances, they they stop it. And now, you know, they announce a, a swathe of books for for. for I, the, I do wonder them. though, with with the One Ring, did they did Cubicle Seven jump the gun? Because it, well, it obviously wasn't it wasn't a contract at that point because. The contract then went to freely. So I honestly don't know. I mean, you know, we've we've interviewed uh, Francesco, and he has been very discreet about whatever mm. went on. At, you know, and I don't think anybody necessarily is ever going to find out the circumstances around exactly no, what no, went that's on. Fair but it it feels to me. I'm sure uh, Francesco was talking on the on the in those days they. A cubicle seven forums about his plans for the second edition so i don't think they just jumped the gun and made an announcement they shouldn't have made no but no i don't think we'll ever know but i just wanted to raise that question and if anybody does know um you know maybe they can tell us and then we'll broadcast it to the world <laughs> no <laughs> I'd, I'd be i'm really curious and even if, yeah, we have, exactly. if somebody so. shares the story with us on a, on a strictly um a no no broadcasting um, basis. I'd love to know Off the what record, was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they've just announced a new edition of the Doctor Who role-playing game. So uh, yeah, I'm praying, because Dave Chapman is um, 
uh, uh, friends of the show, and uh, he's just been given a full-time job by them to work on the Doctor Who thing, so I'm praying yeah, that nice. in a couple of months' time we don't suddenly say, oh, due to unforeseen circumstance, the license going elsewhere. <laughs> so I, I don't think I've ever played a Doctor Who role-playing game. And I'm not sure, actually, as a game, it particularly excites me, actually. Um, yeah, so I, I've not played the new one. Um, there was one by Games Workshop years ago. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I remember um, that there was a number of iterations, weren't there? But I, I said, for some reason, Doctor Who's never really gripped me as something I've wanted to role play. Well, no, and I think there's a there's a there's a fundamental thing there about you're either well, I don't know. Do you just play companions, or do you do you, does somebody get to play a Time Lord, and then yeah. what's yeah. the you know? I mean, I'm I'm all for unequal player groups. I love it, but but that thing where one person's effectively a god and everybody else is pretty normal, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, if he did play the Doctor as as an NPC, then uh, that kind of takes away a big chunk of the point. If the players are then just being told by the NPC what to do, uh, and the hero of the show is the NPC rather than the companions. Yeah. Or whether you all get to play Time Lords, in which case, mm. doesn't that defeat the point of Doctor Who a little bit? Because wasn't the Doctor the renegade Time Lord and he was the only one who went renegade? To, well, with the exception maybe of the Master. So all the others are kind of good, boring, uptight Time Lords who don't put a foot wrong and obviously don't go adventuring. Uh, I don't know. Does it... For me, it just never it never rang the bell that made me go. I wanna, I wanna play that. And then having seen the, um, like I say, the information about the the new the new version coming out, uh, I think yeah, with our, our friend of the show Dave involved, there's going to be good stuff going on there. Um, but still, I I didn't get any excitement about it. Yeah, and Dave was involved in the first edition as well. He actually wrote the system. The Vortex mm. system is is his thing. So. Um... So yeah, uh, I, I'm kind of excited about it for on Dave's side, but you know, frankly, I, yeah. in, in games that Dave has written, I just took delivery of Wild. We put a little unboxing on that YouTube channel, uh, and that excites me more than mm, Doctor Who. Yeah, I so I think this this is no reflection on the system because I can't even remember what the system is in Doctor Who. So it's not. I think it's just the it's just the genre for me doesn't doesn't ring my bell. Yeah, no, I. So. I, I agree with you. It's not. It's, it's nothing to do with um, the system itself. Vortex no. system is what it's no. called, but I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, it is just that license isn't one I've ever, ever felt the need to role play. No, you know, and I like it. I think I like the program more than you. But, um, but I, yeah. I used to like the program. I haven't watched Doctor Who on TV for about five years. I completely lost interest in it. The the writing and the storylines were just not good hmm. enough frankly to engage and it's the, the other problem they had was the constant inflating of the problem that the doctor has to face so as soon as the doctor saved the universe once where the hell did he go after that so yeah. the, the, thing, the thing i loved about the old doctor who was the problems they were solving or the were local the local difficulties they came into were little local ones where there was yeah. threat for the people involved there might be a wider threat but the universe wasn't going to stop um, you know, and, and some of them, you know, things like the, the ones on Peladon were basically like murder mysteries, brilliant stuff. Mm. 
you had the Robots of Death, which is possibly my favourite one of all, which is a murder mystery. Yeah. Um, you had uh, the Genesis of the Daleks, which is perhaps a bit of a broader oh. one, because again, absolutely fabulous story. Uh, wonderful bit at the end where he's got the opportunity to destroy the Daleks and he's agonising over whether he's got the right to do that or not. To commit genocide, Um, yeah. You know, brilliant, brilliant stuff. And the writing, for all of the new stuff, actually, including the the Christopher Eccleston and the the, the David Tennant eras, the writing just has not ever been of a consistent level as as good as that. Um, And I think that's possibly a criticism of a lot of television and film these days where I think a lot of there's a lot of lazy writing that people think is okay to get away with when you've got a big budget to have flashy things happen on the screen almost that you've got an obligation when you've got a bigger budget to have the really flashy things happening on the screen I'll tell you an interesting anecdote though I just went to see um, Black Widow at the cinema yeah. And, you know, in a way, although they try to inflate the importance of that to uh, suggest that all this time, um, and spoilers, um, the, the bad guy has been controlling the, the, the world. Um, they didn't need to do that. It was a local family story um, and it was great. And, you know, nice bit of character work there. Um, also some great action scenes, you know, a lot of CGI, but, you know, it, it seemed to gel for me. But at the end of the day, I was thinking, well, that's an entirely inconsequential story about a character that we know is dead. And um, although I liked it very much and all the parts um, were great, the film didn't do anything for me. So perhaps um, no. perhaps I've been spoiled by the Avengers saving the universe too many times. Possibly, yeah. Um, it's, as an interesting aside, I've... Um, I've recently come across a, a film critic on YouTube called The Critical Drinker. Ah, and, yes. And he's very um, forthright in his views. He's pretty and good, Scottish. actually. He's Scottish, yep. And um, he basically shits all over Black Widow and lots of other things yes. as well. Yes, now you um, see, I find him objectionable in that regard. Sometimes when he loves a film, it's great and he's hilarious. When he's shitting on a film, you know, Black Widow doesn't deserve to be shat on, actually. I think it's a great film, except for the fact it's kind of inconsequential. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to see him do better, either with script writing or whatever. No, I think that's I've, fair I've, I think I, think I find his criticism is disgusting, actually. Okay. <laughs> but but his love is fabulous. So I, I, <laughs> When I, he's so enthusiastic I, about a film, I could listen to him all day. So I think his criticism, actually, quite often is, is pretty good. Um, he, he does, as I said, he's very forthright. So if, you're, if you don't want to hear somebody being one end of the scale, then, then don't <laughs> listen to him. I, the, my criticism for him is there are things that he'll criticise on a film that he hates that he'll brush over on a film that he loves. On a film he loves, yeah. You know, yeah. So um, the fact that actually the most of the films he loves are films that I love as well, I kind of accept. I kind of you know, let him off that. But um, I haven't seen a lot of the films that he's, he's critiquing. Uh, so mm. I can't I can't really judge on on whether you know what he's saying is fair or not, but uh, it, it's entertaining and it's quite yeah. You know, I think oh, he's definitely entertaining. But when he's speaking positively, he's a lot more entertaining than when he's speaking negatively. Yeah, well, um, I guess it's also it's interesting, isn't it? If if he's speaking negatively of something that the the, the viewer actually loves or thinks is really good, then that that might be slightly harder to take. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he does, as you say, the films I love, he generally loves too. Yeah. Uh, 
the, the films like so black widow is a perfect case in point no i don't love that film it was fine <laughs> it you know there, there were many good things about it there were um lots of inconsistencies and stuff that you might well expect um uh, the, if you like the main villain compared to the incarnation of that villain in the comics was very dull <laughs> uh, you know all sorts all sorts of things i could point out about being negative but i wouldn't lay into them in the way he does and i think it's i i think he's a lesser man for when he lays into stuff he doesn't like yeah um, well, i think i think i guess that's his style isn't it that's what he's trying yeah. to you know he lays into stuff um as i said he's at one end of the at one end of the spectrum in terms of how you deliver your criticism mm. uh, which i think yeah actually right i think sometimes he goes a bit over the line but quite often it's quite entertaining yeah. I'm not. I'm not necessarily recommending it. I think there are things. I think there are things, <laughs> in, there, are things but, in there that some people might find objectionable. I think you have to take him in. You know. Yes, in. he he is definitely doing it in character. Um, and yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. His character, as I say, when he's enjoying something, I can really get into his character because he's hilarious. And I think he's uh, trying when, to provoke a little bit as well. So if you don't yeah. want to be provoked, don't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. We're not here to review you, you two. <laughs> cool. Where are we in the, in the running order? Let me just check what we're meant to be doing. Um, tune of the date. No, here we are. Uh, so we talked about Lone Wolf. Uh, yeah, another good thing. No, no, sorry. <laughs> I wasn't saying that uh, Cubicle 7 losing Lone Wolf is a good thing. But a good uh, there's a good bit of news, I feel, which is that the Trove, mm, the yeah. RPG piracy site, seems to be shut down. Um. Seems to be, I say, because I was just checking up on whether it still was shut down and found some messages saying, oh, no, no, they're coming back. They're just rejigging their website. Um, but, yeah, I don't like the Trove. Uh, I dislike the Trove <laughs> more than I dislike the Critical Drinker in a bad mood. <laughs> um, uh, you know, th there's not much, there's not enough money in this industry unless you're Hasbro. Uh, for people's work to be stolen. Your work's been stolen. Um, Andy Brick says okay. he's found a copy of um, uh, Trade in the Third Horizon uh, on the Trove. And, you know, we gave that away for free anyway. So, arguably, it might as well be on the Trove as well as GT uh, Drive Through RPG. But, but actually, no. We'll decide when no, where it's given point, away for yeah, free. We don't want somebody else stealing the work and sticking it up there. Are able, are lucky enough, or talented enough to make a living out of, or even make a good, a good amount of money out of writing role-playing games. And you know, having having what little reward you get taken off you by a site like Trove is 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 a bit distasteful. You know, the same applies, I guess. You know, for Pirate Bay and music. Um, sites that that, that that allow you to rip off music as well not many not many not many artists actually make enough money for you to be ripping off yeah, their work and... doesn't bother them if you see what i mean yeah and 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 the pirates say well you know who's making too much money it's the music publishers or the record labels or whatever and that is true, yeah, but exactly. giving the work away for free does nothing for the no, individual creator behind it who is underpaid. Uh, and that's my thing. And, you know, and I do think some of the stuff that we're seeing, like drive-through, uh, like uh, itch.io, although 
I've got my problems with itch.io, stuff that allows us to sell our work to our audience as creatives, yeah. you know, that is the thing that's going to help creatives make a living out of this, um, not giving everybody's work away for free. Because at the end, only the publishers with money will have the time to oh, produce stuff yeah. and will that's, all that's a, only be playing D&D. isn't it? That we're all only ever playing D&D. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? I, yeah. I, had, I had an interesting thought moving on slightly that um, the whole TSR <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I think they're actually, this is all part of the plan because they want to end up visiting <laughs> TSR 5e rather than 3 or 3.5 or 4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've got up to 4 already. Yeah. I thought we, we wouldn't necessarily bore our audience with the travails of TSR, but TSR 3 is dead. TSR 4, I can't remember who's behind that, yes, but you, exactly. what you're saying is, is they're just you know, waiting that, to climb up to TSR 5th edition, right? Correctly, I guess, doesn't it? Um, with, with apologies to those people who play other versions of D&D than 5th edition. Yeah. <laughs> but then you should be playing free league games. Why are you playing D&D at all? <laughs> Uh, because D&D's a perfectly fine and acceptable game. You see, I'm not the critical drinker slagging off D&D just because it's a game I don't play. Uh, uh, I mean, it's been fun to watch the dumpster fire. And, you know, I'm very pleased that, yeah, it turned out to be a dumpster fire. Um, and a hilarious dumpster fire at that. But, um, but yeah, you know, I... Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm running out of thread here. I was going That's to go fine. back and find the um, um, uh, the TSR four announcement, but instead I found the uh, Cubicle Seven Doctor Who Second Edition second uh, uh, announcement. And um... That's fine. We'll cut this out of the uh, the edit anyway. Yeah. Uh, we need we need to keep making you look professional, don't we? And that does take quite a lot of editing. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that bit we'll leave in. Um, where are we? Uh, next thing. Next thing, oh, oh, next Ooh, thing, the, our friend and patron, excellent news, Andy Brick, yeah. has got a supplement published, and I believe it's the first supplement for the D sanction. It is. It's also after forty years plus of trying, Andy's finally done something good enough to get it published. Well done. <laughs> <me>. <laughs> He's gonna hate me. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. So. Um, Andy, Andy's collected rejection slips are plenty, but here's work. He, <laughs> he, he fight away. Only one, to be fair, but he has collected it. Um, and then since then submitted nothing since. Uh, but, but he has submitted this to um, uh, the guys. That, well, it's not all rolled up. What's, um, it, 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 it's Paul, who's married uh, to Paul Phil, yeah. who um, is all rolled up. But his company's something it is, different. It does come under all road up, I think, doesn't it? No, I I'm pretty it sure it's got a different name for his company. Anyway, we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, yeah. uh, to yeah. at least the drive-through edition of that. And we'll put a link into all rolled up because we love them as a company and we've got a lot of their dice trays and and um, and dice bags and things yeah. like that. Uh, all rolled up, that's but, the word I'm looking for. <laughs> they're, they're handy dandy all rolled up dice bags. Um and uh, but yeah, so but and Andy loved Desanction so much that he threw himself into writing a load of additional material, and uh, had a chance to look at it. And a lot, yeah, it was it's really good actually. And I, I, you know, I'm I, joking aside, 
uh, you know, and Andy is a good producer of content, and he's a good GM. And this stuff was excellent. He came up with some really nice stuff. I'm delighted that uh, he took the plunge and, and submitted it to Paul, and that Paul liked it, and that it's now come out as, um, yeah, as like you say, the first supplement of what is a uh, award-nominated game. Yes, um, that's a thing we, we should might, talk about. That's we might a thing want to we should segue. Talk about. That's that's what I was wanting. Yeah, the the thing. Show, I was I was saying to Matt about oh there was something I really wanted to talk about but I can't remember from Game of World, World of Gaming but that was it um, but we'll come back to UK Games Expo in a minute setting aside what would have been an absolutely perfect segue yes I, mean, I, I just thought there's too much to talk about about the site but that was the perfect segue into UK Games Expo never mind never mind um, I'll, I'll let you have that segue later we'll count it as a segue. <laughs> But this is uh, a sort yeah. of time-travelling Doctor Who-style segue. See, double segue from our Doctor Who conversation. <laughs> so he's, we'll come to that segue, but just imagine that we're in the TARDIS and we're already there. <laughs> but first of all, Thanks. the rest of us mortals have yeah. to go through the normal timeline. So uh, off you go. Carry on. Let's talk some more about the site. Yes, So, um, but it was excellent. And it's, it's got lots of, lots of really interesting stuff in it. Um, so I, I recommend people should go and um, pick it up if you like desanctions. Yeah, so um, I also um, looked at his... Congratulations to Andy. I looked at his first edition and I think I said to him, I think it's got too much in it. And indeed, Paul has strimmed down um, Andy's magnum opus to a yeah. very specific portion of that. There is still more in 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 Dave's original version. And Dave's original Andy's. version? And his original version. And um, that might come out. I think I even saw Paul say that on Twitter, that m more might appear out of that document. But at the moment, yeah. I think the best bit... No, it's not the best bit. Obviously, the best bit is yet to come. Um, but no, but mm. the, the, this is a really good uh, first supplement. And well done, Andy, for having the courage to submit it and then um, getting it published. And then... Talking of our patrons getting stuff published, we don't talk enough about one of our patrons who actually gets stuff published all the time. <laughs> um, and that is uh, um, Ben Rogers, uh, also known as... Actually, is he known as Mordant Crimson or Crimson Mordant? I can't quite remember. But anyway. Mordant, Mordant Crimson, I think. Yeah. So on the, social, on the socials and on our Discord is Mordant Crimson, but his real name is Ben. And... Um, a supplement for uh, the Rogue Trooper variant of Judge Dredd and the World of 2000 AD has just come out, mm -hmm. which I think is um, it's interesting because it's called uh, The Tour of New Earth, Volume 1. And I think it follows, I think if you were to Google Tour of New Earth, Volume 1, you would find, obviously, Ben's supplement, but you would also find a collected edition of old Rogue Trooper stories called that mm, yeah and i wonder whether ben's supplement is specifically about the stories that occur in that collected edition which is interesting then yeah, you know you, yeah. if you have a particular era of road trip you really love then the idea that you can buy a supplement about those stories sounds really good fun it does sound really cool doesn't it yeah mm. no cool i mean great 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 work ben um uh i've i haven't played any of that so uh no, we we haven't played any to that. I mean, there's no, not for years, mm. um, and certainly nothing rogue trooper esque. Um, yeah, maybe I have to have a look at that. Yeah, maybe uh, we should give it a go at some time. 
Although there's so much. Yeah, definitely. So much. I know, I know. <laughs> we've played more well, games yeah. this last 18 months than we've ever played before, and there's still too many to play. Yeah, and I'm, frankly, I'm sick of role-playing games now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Not really. Thank God for that, because uh, I've got a podcast to do with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> then again, maybe I could replace you with your brother, which is what I always really wanted to do in the first place. <laughs> it, yeah. So I was just a lead-in to get Tony. It's a long lead-in, yeah, <laughs> if that's the case. Uh, but you know what Tony's like? You, you need to get him half cut before he starts talking. Yes, you? yeah, you're, you're so quite right. You'd have, to, you'd have to get him drunk before he would get really yes. loquacious. Exactly. Oh, hold on. What is this I see ahead of me? It's a mysterious blue box appearing out of thin air. Hold on, there's a Segway coming out of it. Are we talking <laughs> UCAG? Are we talking the UK Games Expo Awards? I think we are. Um, Dave. Nicely done. Nicely done. Dave, what is this? Uh, you, you, you were just mentioning that... Um, that the uh, that the D sanction has been nominated for a UK Games Expo Award. It has. It's it's up there for the uh, best role playing game uh, category, along with Verson from our uh, friends yeah. over over at uh, over at Stockholm, and another game that I can't remember. That other game is Jackals. It's a Bronze Age there. game. There we go. Right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, so that's excellent. I mean, good work, Paul. Well done. Congratulations on that nomination. Um, pity that you're going to lose to Verson, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, you know, that's, but even that's being nominated is an honour in itself because uh, lots of Absolutely. publishers submit their games and they get widowed down to a shortlist. So being one of those top three mm. games is an honour. Is, is Absolutely. I mean, that's a brilliant achievement. Um, so, yeah, everybody out there, get voting. The, the voting is up for that and all the other categories for UK Games Expo. Yeah, it's I noticed... It's not UCAG, Matthew. It's not uh, Yeah, UCAG. I don't know why I call it UCAG. Sorry. It UCAG. Yeah. It's just an annoying me now. It's, it, um, it's, it's but, the UK exposition of games. <laughs> which, as you've just proven, is not easy to say. <laughs> which is why it's UK Games Expo. UK Games Expo. Uh, anyway... So go onto their website, have a look there. All the nominations are there. Vote for your favourite ones. And, uh, you know, as fingers crossed for everybody who's entered. I kind of hope that Fairson wins, because then we get to go up and collect the award. Ooh, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Everybody get out there and vote for Fairson, just so that I can get Dave on stage and mock him. Oh yeah, no, that's fine. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm happy to do a long speech on stage about how how, how wonderful it is to get this award and all that. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. But we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. Let's not get ahead of ourselves and competition <laughs> in that category. Just yeah, just absolutely. thinking about what sort of smart shoots that I wear for the for the award ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> no, but should we hire some? Should we hire some tuxedos or something? Yeah. <laughs> I voted uh, for Verson, I have to say, because actually, genuinely, I didn't know how good Verson was going to be, and I thoroughly enjoyed yeah. running it. Um, so, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, Verson is a game it, I've absolutely loved every game I've played. I haven't run it yet, but the uh, the, the two characters I've got, um, Magnuson and uh, Azimoko, they're both great, mm. and they both 
make me want to roleplay, and that is thanks to the game and the way the game is set up. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I haven't played Desanction, uh, I haven't played Jackals. Um, I'm sure, you know, that they are 100% worthy of be of winning the award. As you say, I think I'll be voting for Vesson because I know how good it is. Um, yeah, so yeah. good luck to all entrants. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put a, uh, a link to the voting in our show notes. And you can vote even if you're not coming to UK Games Expo all around the world. No, no restrictions along those lines. It's um, it's a smaller, I guess, because, you know, um, because of things that have been happening this last 18 months. It's a slightly smaller shortlist in every category and fewer categories than there normally are. But um, yeah. but still, it's uh, it's worth voting and, and saying, you know, um, saying what you think about stuff. Um, of course. Now, other stuff for a UK Games Expo is they went through a little bit of a rough patch on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Um, our local Prime Minister here in the UK has kind of said, right, there are no restrictions based on COVID stuff from the 19th of um, July. July. And, uh, and so following a sort of government legislation, uh, UK Games Expo said, right, well, we're still going to have the wide aisles and we're still having a limited number, about half as many uh, tickets available as they normally do. But you know, nobody's going to be forced to wear face masks or uh, wash their hands or anything like that. And um, there was a little bit of a rebellion, and even some exhibitors said, right, well, I'm not coming then. So mm. UK said, okay, yeah, we will have a mask mandate and we will want to see uh, vaccine passports if you've had it or a, a lateral flow test result um, before you come in. So I think that is reassuring to most of our visitors and stall holders we were going anyway because we're just foolhardy uh and i just want to get there and meet people and play games and stuff like that and talk about games um so we weren't particularly worried by that we weren't backing out as a as or free league wasn't backing out on our behalf but um but hopefully now everybody's reassured that um we we're going to try and play this as safely as we can play it and hopefully not too many people are going to catch covid there no, indeed. <laughs> not too many people. That's the best news I could give. Hopefully, not too many people are going to catch yeah, COVID. That's, let's let's be uplifting. So so let's 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 edit that one out, Matt, and we'll say something like so. Yes, so we can have a, a really safe and wonderful convention, and uh, everybody can have a great time, and uh, you know, with minimal risk. Brilliant. I got invited to a game of RuneQuest on the Sunday, and I said, "Oh no, I'm at I'm at UK Games Expo picking up some Delta variant." <laughs> Delta Green variant. <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. That's the variant <laughs> I meant, obviously. Um, right, we are done yeah. with the world of gaming, Dave. We are. Okay, well, next, um, Twilight 2000. So we, um, obviously, uh, interested in Twilight 2000. We've had some uh, book clubs about it on the stream. I was um, looking at... Uh, a couple of bits online and I came across James Langham who uh, has his own little uh, YouTube channel where he talks about um, Twilight 2000. I think he talks about other things as well but Twilight 2000 is obviously our interest and um, it's a well you know he's, he's been involved he did get a credit in the Twilight 2000 book which was a surprise to him he didn't know that. We didn't ask him about time. that do we know why he got a credit no. in the book? 
Um, I think just for his contribution to, uh, uh, I guess, to the to the development of the alpha and the beta versions, um, I think he was quite forward in his comments and uh, contribution. Right. So obviously, right. Free League Free League recognised how much effort he put into it, and decided to give him a a, a credit, uh, which is great, absolutely great. But it, I think it did take it by surprise. Um, but yeah, we decided that um, yeah, let's get let's get him on the show and. Uh, get a perspective of Twilight 2000 from from somebody else. Right, well, here we are with uh, another special um, edition of Players in the Hammam, and today we've invited James Langham into the Hammam with us. Welcome, James. Thank you for inviting me. Now, we had the idea of inviting James on, so um, we're obviously interested in Twilight 2000, and I've watched a few videos, and I've happened to come across a couple of Jameses talking about the, uh, the the Free League Edition 4 of uh, Twilight 2000. And we thought, you seem very knowledgeable and have a lot of information and a lot of uh, opinions. Thought it'd be great to get you on the show and uh, talk to you about that and anything else gaming that um, that comes up. Um, but the first thing we always like to do with a new uh, player in Hammam is get you to introduce yourself a little bit, James, and tell us how you got into role-playing games in the first place. Um, it actually started um, through wargaming. Uh, I must have been about 12, and my dad took me to London, and I went to um, Foyle's Bookshop, a nice large bookshop in London, and they had some Airfix modelling guides in their reduced mm. section, and they had one, World War II wargaming. I thought, oh, what's that? Picked it up, looked at it, and thought, shit, this sounds quite interesting. <laughs> and got, got into gaming, played wargaming for a few years, never heard of role-playing games. And then I found out there was a local wargaming club near me. Went to that, and a couple of weeks in, um, a friend of mine, who's still a good friend, you know, nearly 40 years later, he had um, picked up a game called Tunnels and Trolls. <laughs> and I remember playing the first game of that, and it's sort of a, wow, this is sort of all those fantasy novels I like reading. Um, and I sort of went from there. Um, so I was, you know, talking gaming, what, early... 1980s, um, mm -hmm. where there wasn't so much around. Played all, all the usual ones, Traveller, um, tried Dungeons and Dragons, still play, still play a little bit of that. Um, the Morrow Project was another big one at, at that sort of, sort of time. Right, uh, yeah. And then got into Twilight 2000, must be about 1986, a couple of years after it came out. Um, and uh, basically, I then went to university, gamed at university, and I've been gaming ever since, although it's unfortunately a lot more writing about rather than gaming these days. <laughs> Your trajectory through gaming kind of follows how, how role-playing games are invented, given that that came out of wargaming. And, and they said, what if, what if one of these figures represented just one man as opposed to an entire unit? Um, so, and, and you, you were attracted to the first edition of Twilight 2000, because it was a kind of war gamey sort of version of role playing, um, I've always been interested in, in in military sort of things. Um, I mean, I've spent twenty eight years in the army cadet, or twenty nine years now. I worked out yesterday <laughs> in the army cadet force, <laughs> so I've always had that sort of sort of interest. Um, what I found with Twilight two thousand was there's not a lot of modern military stuff around, and then this came out. It was like, well, that's different. Mm. Um, you know, let, let let let's have a look at it. Um, and I spent an awful lot of the uh, sort of probably about 86 to 87 gaming Twilight 2000 um, 
going through all the scenarios of in Poland. Um, mm. And it was, and it was, you're right. It's very much, it's almost a crossover, I think, between role playing and wargaming. Um, mm. And I think there, it's a, the current edition almost hits the point where you could play it as a straight wargame. Um, but it's, it's interesting that you talk about the um, uh, edition four as being potentially you could run it as a as a as a as a war game as well as a role play game. I was going to sort of come to that a bit later on, but um, seeing you've 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 jumped right through my very carefully planned interview right to that point, but that's fine. That's fine. Um, so, what do you think? You know, in your experience of playing uh, Twilight 2000, um, uh, yeah, what do you think the challenges are? I mean, we are we are obviously from the tradition of of theatre of the mind role playing. We've both done a fair amount of war gaming in, in the past. You know, it's sort of versions of Warhammer and other things. Um, and we've played Twilight 2000 in its first yeah. edition, haven't we? Um, but as, as a role player with a game like that you say is, is kind of equally powerful for sort of mini kind of war gaming, what do you reckon the sort of the, the you know the kind of the key challenges are to make it feel Personal, I guess, is the question. Yeah. How, how, how do you get that personal pl platoon level or company level experience for an one individual the, player? Yeah, one of the best things I ever did was I sprang it on players who didn't know the background. Mm. And mm -hmm. they are part of the 5th Mechanized Division. Just launching at the last offensive of the war, I <laughs> didn't actually tell them how it was going to end. <laughs> and... They, they were having great fun. It's like, oh, you know, we've got this. They got started to get to know some of the characters. And then the Russians arrived. And all these <laughs> NPCs that they've come to like are dying left, right, and center. <laughs> and the players were, were actually walking out almost shell-shocked. Mm. Um, mm. so I think that, that's a nice little trick if you've got new gamers. There's probably going to be quite a few with the new edition. So that might be a little trick to use. Uh, for me, it's very much about the, the personality of the, of the characters. Um, realistic characters are going to make this a realistic game. The conflict between what they want to achieve and what is there will, will make a big difference to, to them. Um, mm. and I do like sort of some of, some of the ideas that have come in in the new edition. Particularly, I quite like the empathy sort of side of things where having a high empathy is not necessarily a good thing for your character i think that's <laughs> a nice little role playing mechanism not if you want to finish somebody off that is anyway <laughs> yeah i mean because i think that is, is one of the problems you sometimes get is players will do what is best for the uh, from a gaming perspective and this pushes them a little bit more towards the role playing side which mm. i think is quite nice which is good. Now, so you have you played every edition of Twilight 2000? I didn't play 2013. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've picked it up since. I've, I've never played it. I, I couldn't quite get into it. Um, Background-wise, wise, I've sort of hybridised the first edition and second edition and 2.2. Uh, I did look the other day through my, my, um, my consolidated background. And I think it's now something like 213 pages long. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. Um, so it, I've sort of gone along adapting it. Um, mm. although, so, so the fourth edition is a bit of a break in that sense. In some ways, I'm quite liking 
it means I haven't got all that baggage to start going back through and checking. Uh, I can yeah, start if, from scratch if that makes sense. Yeah. If, if Thomas, yeah. if Thomas is going to get you to, to to do that for the book, that two hundred and thirteen pages would need to come down to about seven hundred and fifty words. <laughs> so. yeah. Oh, there's some different experience there. Yeah. Know. Not that yeah, I'm I, feeling bruised. I did at or one anything. point actually. Yeah. I did at one point actually count up how many pages I'd written across the various editions and sort of you know type actually got around to typing up rather than just notes. And I've realised there was more than the original game. <laughs> it freaked me out. It's, it's now, often the you, way. You, Sorry. You're contributing still to the community because, as Dave mentioned, he discovered you on YouTube and you're putting quite a lot of videos up there, quite a lot of content there, uh, and quite a lot of um, views as well on, on all that sort of stuff. You didn't create this YouTube channel just for Twilight 2000, though, am I right? No, it it all came about really during lockdown. That was, that was when mm. um, I sort of started with it. Uh, I was sat at home. I worked for St. John Ambulance as a first aid and health and safety trainer. So obviously all our courses were cancelled. We were furloughed. Mm. Um, I was bored, sat at home. <laughs> um, there's only so many online courses that you can do before you sort of run out of things to, to look at. Um, so I thought I'll start pushing a few bits on the channel. I did a couple of very basic painting tutorials, um, some reviews for various wargaming figures and role-playing products, a couple of after-action reports. And I'm just pleasantly surprised that people were finding it enjoyable. Um, <laughs> and it sort of seemed to grow from there. And then when I did a couple of the Twilight 2000 things, all of a sudden it seemed to just mushroom, so, so balloon. And it was like, what? What happened then? Uh, <laughs> and an awful lot of people started commenting. Um, there's now an associated, well, two associated websites with the channel. Uh, the main one from the point of view of Twilight 2000 is... Um, Cold War goes hot, which has got has got sort of different some other role playing games and stuff for Cold War on there, um, and also I'm doing more and more with the um, get the war games Seven Days to the River Rhine, uh, including some army lists for Twilight 2000 for it. Uh, and I'm actually yeah. tomorrow night interviewing Roger Garish, the author of that for the channel. Uh, cool, it's, uh, excellent. It's, uh, it's, 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 it, the, I think the biggest shock I had was as it was working was when. I was speaking to Frank Frey, and he went, I'd love to do an interview with you. <laughs> yeah, with, with me? And it was like <laughs> absolutely shocked. And next thing we know, there's, a, there's an hour-long interview with him on there, um, which was cut down. I think the original was two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll put links, of course, in the show notes, uh, if you provide them yeah. for us, actually. Um, maybe... Obviously, we've already linked to your channel, but maybe there's particular videos and and the websites. So no, no, just come and watch all of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll we'll put something there. Um, but it, yeah, so you you've got quite um, quite quite a, a viewership, shall we say? Now, there's interesting discussion around Twilight 2000. I've never known <laughs> so many. Uh, I don't want to be rude to them, but I'm going to call them in a not rude way, armchair historians um, who've, who've got so much facts and knowledge more than I've got. You, you suffer a bit from people having arguments in your, in your comments channels. I don't think suffer is the wrong word. I like that, <laughs> if I'm honest. And, and it's quite interesting. There is one guy who has put some sort of, not harsh criticism, but some strong criticism. And I think he's, he's, he's perfectly right in some of them as well. Um, 
and offline, we have, we're, we're having great chats about things. Um, it's the thing with Twilight 2000, it's a game that's got a history. Mm-hmm. People are very mm-hmm. passionate about it. And the problem with real history is it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, I'll give you a classic example of this the, the Crusades. The Crusaders, having had the absolute. The, the Byzantines have written to them saying, can you please send some troops? Expecting a few mercenaries. The Pope goes, ah, I see a way to get rid of all these landless knights. <laughs> and you have yeah. the, the, the People's Crusade. The Byzantines are going, what's all this lot arriving? <laughs> yeah. uh, you then have them, they then reach the Holy Land, and the very first thing they do is they declare war on the one Muslim ally they have. Now, if you yeah. wrote that into a role-playing game, mm. people would say it was ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> and the yeah. whole of I history, think our patron Thomas should take note of this. <laughs> the whole of history is like that. Uh, a good friend of mine, yeah. Neil Grant, the one who I've known for 40 years, has written um, a Victorian science fiction. And he said, the only way I can describe Spanish history in this is it's daft. And it was <laughs> toned down from real life. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the problem. Yeah. Um, and armchair historians, and I class myself as that as well. Um, we all have, well, I wouldn't have done that. And I think sometimes some of the background is, okay, why could that happen? And come up with a plausible alternative or a, or a yeah. plausible rationale. And you then get some fascinating things going on. Mm. And of course, one of the challenges of role playing games is it's all about what would I do? So we give ourselves license to say, well, we're going to make rational decisions based on the information we know. And then, uh, and then you get embroiled in, in these arguments about would this have happened or that have happened. But um, uh, you've you've touched a bit on the new edition. Um, What are your thoughts about this very different game system uh, for a a setting that you've known and loved for decades? Hmm. I quite like it. There's there's some very, very nice touches in there. I think going through the, going through the editions, they've all had strengths and weaknesses. I think mm-hmm. that, that's a clear thing to say. Um, I think with this, this edition, there's... Obviously, the background is completely different. I think that, that's probably the thing that's upset people. I haven't... I've mm. heard very little criticism of the rules I find very interesting. It's mm. mainly been the background. Um... The rules themselves, they've been thought out more from a survivalist perspective. Um, mm. And I think that was perhaps rather weak in the, in the earlier editions. Um, you've got more to that. The, the interaction and the empathy side is quite nice. Rule mechanisms are simple. I know some people don't like the, sort of the varying dice, but I, I, I got quite used to it very quickly. And I, I think it, 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 it plays nicely for me. Um, mm. Yeah, there, there was a lot of feedback went in on the on the alpha, um, and I think th- I didn't really did take a lot of that on board. There were things that they've kept which people didn't like, but the, you know, if you can produce a game that everybody would like, you'd never see another role playing game because that would be it. Yeah, um, <laughs> and you're not a gamer unless you play around with the rules, you make adjustments, you introduce new things. You know, every gamer does that. And every war yeah. gamer does that as well. Yeah. yeah. Yes. 
And of course, yeah. people can you know port the old if they if they really like their history. You've got your two hundred page document. You could you could just say right, this is the background <laughs> we're playing in my campaign, and live with it, everybody. Um, so, but it's interesting to hear those positive comments about the um, about the rules. Um, again, touching on um, what uh, Dave talked about a bit earlier on, weirdly. I feel these are slightly more wargamey rules than first edition. I think I think we only played first edition with Andy. I can't remember where they took us onto the second edition. He will probably correct us in the comments when we uh, when we put this out, but um, or in the Discord. But I think we only played first edition. And and I mean, apart from the fact that all all games of that era were slightly wargamey. Uh, this one actually comes with little cardboard counters and maps and things like that, which I don't think we ever used, did we, Dave, when when, when Andy was running the game? Not games. that I can remember. Now, again, I think we we always focused on the role-playing elements rather than the sort of the more wargamey yeah. elements. Yeah. Um, I think I think all the editions, you had the option. If you remember thinking back to the first edition, you had Twilight Encounters, which brought maps and counters in. Yes, yeah. Uh, plus yeah. you had the, the last battle board game that... Um, GDW brought out. Second edition, you, you started getting the maps and thing, things for that. Um, if you think back to some, some of the, uh, some like Merc 2000, a good chunk of that was actually maps for you to use. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I think it's been there. Um, I think you, very much like you, I very rarely use maps or I used a quick sketch map. Mm. Yeah. The maps were much more the, the higher level campaign type things. Yeah, I think there's definitely something about having having a map to allow your players to do some sort of tactical thinking without it or strategic thinking without it having to be a tactical game. Yeah. Um and I like that because I think that's that, that 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 really brings another element to the role playing experience if you can think tactically and then have your tactic work. Um then it's much better than say your D&D hack and slash where the tactic is walk in and hit it until it falls over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually maps encounters can limit the the game. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm thinking back to with cadetting when you do, you're teaching the cadets a section of tack. As soon as you you come under fire, you're down prone. There's no two ways about what well, you're either yeah. down prone or you're knocked prone by a bullet. Yeah. If you're down prone, your visibility is lousy. You can see very mm. little. Mm. Um, and using the, the the maps encounters, I think. You're too aware. Mm-hmm. I'd rather describe yeah. what they can see. And yeah. I think that gives yeah, more, I, bizarrely, I think that gives a more realistic game than actually having the maps and counters and moving them around. Yeah. Mm. Certainly yeah, for that right. personal and course, experience. Yeah. Um, you know, war gamers are always trying to create the fog of war so yeah. that they they don't have the god view that they actually physically have because they're sitting yeah. at a table looking at figures. Um so yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, I have one more question to ask yep. you, <laughs> and this is, as you'll know, we are Dave and I shills for Free League. <laughs> uh, this is this is one of many Free League games that we've bought. Is this your first Free League game? It is. I because I came at it from Twilight Two Thousand, mm-hmm. um, and. I'll be brutally honest, no matter which publisher had published it, I would probably have gone out and looked at it. You've gone for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I am starting to look at some of the others now thinking I might pick some of the, these up. 
Um, Excellent. Any any particular ones that you want to you want to name? There's there's none jumping out hugely. If I'm honest, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're all, all sort of level peg pegging. Um, <laughs> I, I suffer from the big problem of being a gamer. We have mountains and mountains of games that are never played. Yep. Uh, you know, I've, I've got board games that are probably 15, 20 years old. I've never got around to play. Mm. Uh, so what I don't want to do is pick up a game that's then just going to sit there. Um, so when I have a bit of time, the classic gamer answer there, uh, I'm probably going to look through the reviews of the different ones, see what they've got. Um, I've got to be honest, if I, if I had to pick one at the minute, it's probably going to be uh, Aliens. Um, that's the right uh, there, 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 yeah, there's, some, there's some very good writing in Alien by by you know certain yeah. certain people. <coughs> yeah. Very good adventure. <laughs> well, I've, I've, yeah, I've always liked that background, um, and I still mm. remember the the book that came out around the time of the um, the second film, with the Colon- the Colonial Marines Technical Handbook. Yep. Which, was, mm. if you remember, it was absolutely brilliant, and it was great fun spotting the quotes where they'd actually borrowed them from. Um, there's one quote in there that's literally almost word for word of a Vietnam War quote I came across. <laughs> um, and it had lovely little bits like trying to fire these support weapons prone. And someone yeah. actually mm. worked out a correct firing position using the feet to limit the arcs of fire and things. It's like, <laughs> this is somebody who's thought this through. And I can see that sort of the, um, the, the style of gaming being fast and quick. I, 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 I think it could be quite an interesting little, little game to play. Probably more, I think, it's almost more wargaming than role-playing, if that makes sense, in, the, in that for that one for me. Well, what do you think, Dave? I mean, particularly the Colonial Operations Manual, the Colonial Marines Operations Manual, that will be coming out in time for UCAG, I should, uh, UK <laughs> Games Expo, I should say. Uh, just got to put the plug in. That is kind of wargaming, isn't it? Yeah. I, th- I think, it, like, like I was saying earlier, it, it lends itself for tactical thinking at a small squad level, rather than mm. being wargamey. I think, um, but it definitely allows you to uh, to, to to have uh, an example on one of the playtests. The guys just stormed into this compound where uh, where they had to go and investigate what was going on. They got over the wall. They immediately got into a firefight. One of them was killed. The NPC expert with them was killed. And then they climbed over the wall and ran away. <laughs> so they could have been a bit more tactical about how they approached that particular mission. So I think it gives you that option. But um... yeah. Yeah, I think my problem with that is I, I always think tactically because of the of my background. Mm. Yeah. So I, I do sort of automatically think fields of fire cover. And I always remember many, many years ago, my youngest daughter, who's never been a gamer, um, she must have been about seven, eight year old. And we went, we'd gone into Games Workshop in Cardiff. I was picking up some paints, and he got the guy in the shop got chatting to her, and he said, "Yeah, do you want to move some of the figures around?" She started putting them on top of one of the buildings, these orcs. And he went, "All right, why are you putting them up there?" She went, "Because they've got the best field of the fire." <laughs> <laughs> and there was this stunned silence. <laughs> Excellent. She learned well from her dad's knee, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And the irony is, she's never been a cadet. She's no, she's never taken up gaming. But that one moment <laughs> it was all worthwhile. <laughs> is that a proud dad moment? Yeah. 
<laughs> this might be a good place to end the interview unless dave you've got any other questions you want to the only other thing i was going to ask um james obviously you you referred to your sort of experience and your uh your real history of uh um, sort of military experience do you find do you think that helps in a gaming context or actually do you think it detracts a little bit because you know just a bit too much it i think it limits me a bit in player characters um I would struggle playing, I think, because I would be instinctively trying to use skills that the character wouldn't have. Um, right. White Dwarf many years ago had a wonderful line which went, you would be an unlucky GM who had in a Dungeons and Dragons group um, somebody who knew how to use a sword, an expert in siege technology, uh, a survivalist and something else. <laughs> that came out when I looked around the group I was gaming with at the time and we had... Somebody who was doing their degree in physics. We had, a, we did have a survivalist. We had, we had an ex-military, military intelligence specialist. We had an archaeologist and an information search specialist. <laughs> it was like, okay, this is a shadow run group, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there, there is the problem I think with that, um, and I, I think what. Gamers who have then tried to play these special forces type troopers without any military background, I think, will, will struggle as well. So there is a two-way problem. Mm. Um, I keep muttering about one day I'm going to do a real basic tactical primer for gamers, but it would, it would be interesting to try and put that together. I, I think that may, that may or may not happen. <laughs> this could be subjects of uh, future videos, though, could Absolutely. It? It, it could It could well be. I'm, I'm actually looking at sort of some basic videos at the minute almost hybrid between um, Twilight 2000 and the Seven Days of the River Rhine, which I used to game the larger battles in Twilight 2000, and just putting in a few absolute basic tactics, like how to put in a platoon attack or something. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Excellent. Cool. So you, broadly speaking, though, the, the YouTube channel is going to run and run, even though lockdown isn't happening. Is that right? It is. It, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get a video, at least two videos out a month. Uh, some of them mm -hmm. are quite short. Uh, I mean, the short one that may happen at some point is how to paint an Imperial Stormtrooper, which, in all fairness, history <laughs> uses two colours and a wash. Yeah, it's like, long that's, that's the shortest video ever, isn't it? <laughs> um, Here's your white paint. It's, yeah. it's not far off. Then you get yeah. some of the big complex ones, like some of the interview ones are running. I'm taking something like two and a half hours of video and trying to cut it down. You can mm. imagine how mm. long that takes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm, 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 but I'm going to keep trying to bring them out. Uh, and I'm always on the lookout for ideas. It sounds like the um, the idea of a basic primer on tactics sounds, sounds like it would appeal. I so think that that's may a be something yeah. I'll, I'll Well, I'll, I'll be watching that if you uh, if you put one out, James. Absolutely. I'll see what I can pull Brilliant. together on that one. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much for joining us, uh, James. Um, it's been really interesting chatting to you. And um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll hopefully see you again. Indeed. And, and yeah, watch and, more of yeah. your videos. So it was really great to get James on the show and have a good chat with him. And I think, you know, he's got lots of experience and uh, yeah, a great perspective, certainly from his, um, uh, his reserves uh, experience for what the best part of 30 years, he was saying. I think from a gaming point of view, the one thing that I'm most interested in uh, or kind of most concerned about, about a game that's set in a war kind of setting, is 
how do you make sure that the game doesn't become uh, a war game? You know, a miniatures war game. game yeah. Um, rather than a role-playing game set in a wartime environment. Because I think that, you know, as soon as you put, for me anyway, as soon as you put a lot of minis on, on the table, um, you, your, your camera perspective zooms out. Yeah. And you're not, you're not looking through the eyes of your character. And when I'm role-playing, and particularly with Theatre of the Mind, where it makes it easier, I think, you are looking through the eyes of your character. Um, so you get that different perspective in your mind. But with a minis game or a, a war game, you pull out from that. You lose that personal element. You're getting a god's eye view, aren't you? Yeah. And it's exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting. Although I was very excited for nostalgic reasons during the Kickstarter yeah. about the cardboard cutout counters that they are providing, that is steering people towards a sort of minis war game rather than the theatre of the mind role-playing game that we've enjoyed with all the other um, free league games. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, I mean, Twilight 2000, it, the, the, the core fan base of that does seem to want that level of tactical unit-level play, which is fine. And if that's what you want in your role-playing game, then that's absolutely fine. Um, there is a spectrum there, I think, isn't there? You know, mm. one end, playing, a, playing an actual war game, all the way to the other end, which is playing fully theatre of the mind. And I guess different players are different places on that, on that spectrum. Yeah. And um, I just happen to be at the far end in the theatre of the mind um, end of that spectrum. And to be fair, many people like James have come to games like Twilight 2000 from wargaming. So it may be that round their yes, table, absolutely. everybody's yeah. entirely happy with that style of play. But I'd worry... Yep. I'd worry about introducing somebody to role-playing if that's the way you play around your table and you get a new person in and, um, you know, they've said, oh, I've heard about this Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, and then you sit them down at that table and you play that game. I think they might get a very different impression of role-playing as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, yeah. Hmm. But I think, you know, again, for me particularly, because obviously I'm, I'm still working with Firelock on War Stories, there is definitely a thing about allowing your players to think in a tactical way and be rewarded for doing that, whilst at the same time not having to roll dice and do lots of complicated stuff for to tell you what all the other NPCs in your company are doing or how the battle is going half a mile away. Um, Keeping keeping the story focused on those individuals rather than focused on what's going on around those individuals. Yeah, I think is the key key for me. And I just dropped my pen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your carpet fitters are making enough noise that I'm going to have to spend an age. I know. Well. And then I know. Sorry about you that. You bloody drop a hammer on your own table. What's it like? <laughs> well, I tell you what. What's it like? Is it's like the end of the program because um, it is, isn't it? Let us let us not subjugate our poor listeners to any more of your carpet being installed. Subjugate or subject? Subject. Yes. Subjugate. Not... That that means you can you know yeah, you kind sorry, of take power uh, over them. And... Yeah, but that we do that, have power so over all our listeners because we've heard it here first. Guys. To you. Matthew wants to subjugate you. I was right the first time. You are right. But moving on, what are we going to talk about <laughs> next week? Well, in two weeks' time, we are at UK Games Expo. Oh, so I, I one, have an idea I, about that. Well, so did I. What's your idea? 
Well, so my idea is that we take your little portable recording thing along and we record little five or ten minute segments as we're going through the weekend. Through the whole weekend as, and then edit them together. As, as, the, as the mood takes us when something comes up and we think, oh, this is a good conversation. Yeah, and so um, so when I go out to collect the prize for Vason, you can be at the bottom of the stage kind of recording it all on the little recording thing. <laughs> I think I'll be the one going up to, to collect well, prize, who's actually. done most Vason writing out of the two of us that's irrelevant who's done the most Vason playing out of the two of us me me because no, me. no I've done more I've, I've been GMing games that you haven't even been in yeah but that's GMing and I'm I've been paid playing. to do it you know. by by the guys at Free League so uh, I am the Vason king anyway we'll, we'll have this debate later but yeah that's a great idea well Be well in which case, then then um, I'll have to beat you up, tie you up and hide you in a cupboard. Then, you know, so it's fine. No I can do that. Well, right. we can talk about that after the show as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's our plan then. So I think our next one will be a little bit late. It won't come out at the weekend because the weekend no. we will be at UK Games Expo. Busy. But after weekend sometime, we'll edit everything we've recorded together into a fabulous program so it was like you were actually there but without any covid excellent well i'm kind of hoping that we'll be there without any covid anyway yes yeah uh, and i and i really hope that um a lot of people feel comfortable enough uh with the measures to come along and um look forward to to meeting a bunch of people and, and having some really good conversations um we will be at the free league stand as you know we are representing free league for this uh this trip so come and find us. We're in a good spot this time. So we should be easy to find yeah. rather than tucked away in the corner as we were a couple of years ago. So come along, find us, have a chat, buy some stuff. It should be great. It should be fun. It and if you are planning on going, place. why not tell us on uh, our, U our YouTube channel? Not our YouTube channel. Well, you can tell us on YouTube as well. But you can tell us on Twitter or on Facebook or um, directly, yes. uh, whatever, whatever you want to do. Uh, if you're coming to UK games expo we would love to see you and we would love to be pre-warned that you're on your way if you're andy brick yeah that's particularly to you because obviously we'll hide under the table when you appear <laughs> yes indeed oh cool. what fun stuff. um what so fun. uh all we need to do is say goodbye because we have got james to give our sign off we have indeed so Goodbye, everybody. Hope to see you at UK Games Expo. But if not, um, listen in in a couple of weeks. And it's goodbye from me. May the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.